Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups, quality handcrafted guitar pickups from Detroit, Rock City. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. If you want to support the No Sleep Till Sudbury podcast on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash Brent Jensen Music for details. I'm also available for music-based speaking engagements. For inquiries on that, visit brentjensenmusic.com or email info at brentjensenmusic.com. Amy Winehouse. It's rare that we actually witness someone succumbing to their demons in plain sight the way that we did with her, and it was sad and unsettling to watch. Renowned for her raw contralto singing voice and blue-eyed 60s soul music stylings, it was almost like Winehouse was a woman out of time. She didn't jump from octave to octave the way her contemporaries did, and she sang so emotively with a ruggedness that betrayed all her years of heartbreak. Winehouse was unique. She channeled the girl groups of the 1960s, right down to her Ronettes-inspired Cleopatra makeup and beehive hairstyle. The bold red lipstick and thick eyebrows she would adopt as part of her look were taken from the Latina community she experienced while she was in Miami working on her second record, Back to Black. She was a shepherd of the pop culture past, Bridget Bardot, crossed with Ronnie Spector, with maybe a little Betty Page mixed in. Bob Dylan called her the last real individualist around. Winehouse was born on September 14, 1983, in Gordon Hill, North London. As a child, she was convinced by her grandmother to pursue tap dancing and a career in entertainment. She would play her brother's guitar when he wasn't around, and when she turned 14, she bought a guitar of her own and began writing songs. She dabbled in journalism as she furthered her musical career, writing for the World Entertainment News Network and singing with local groups. In the early 2000s, her friend and soul artist Tyler James circulated her demo tape to A&R Contacts, and shortly after, Winehouse was signed to a development deal with Simon Fuller's 19 Management in 2002. During her time in development with 19, Winehouse was kept a secret in the recording industry for fear she would be lured away by other A&R reps and record companies. A rep from Island Records named Darkus Beast discovered Winehouse as a result of an error on the part of the manager of an act called the Lewinson Brothers, who erroneously showed Beast a clip of Winehouse singing among production clips of his clients. Beast was intrigued and asked who Winehouse was, but the manager was not permitted to provide any information under the terms of her development deal. Beast was so convinced that she was worth signing to Island Records, that he asked around for several months before learning Winehouse's identity. But by this time, it was too late. Winehouse had already signed another deal with EMI Records and recorded a collection of songs with them. Winehouse was eventually signed to Island after Beast got head of the Island label and Nick Gatfield involved. Gatfield also saw something special in Winehouse, and they were able to divert her away from EMI and other rival Virgin. 
Both men felt that Winehouse was the very desirable opposite of what was happening in music at the time. Reality TV music shows featuring manufactured pop. Island Records released Winehouse's debut record, Frank, in October of 2003, which consisted of jazz-heavy material with a couple of covers. The album was received well by critics and fans alike, and Winehouse's voice was likened to Macy Gray. Winehouse's focus shifted drastically from jazz to her beloved 50s and 60s girl groups for her second record, called Back to Black. Winehouse requested Sharon Jones's band, the Dap Kings, to back her up on the record, and subsequently on the tour that would follow. During recording of the album, Winehouse would listen to mixes of the songs in her father's car to get an idea of how the record would sound for fans after it was released. Back to Black's first single, Rehab, is an autobiographical song about Winehouse's refusal to address her alcohol addiction following a conversation she had with her father, Mitch Winehouse. The recording is drenched in reverb, to achieve that retro vibe the song has, in addition to some other vintage treatments to instruments like the piano and bass. There are lyrical references made to Winehouse favorites Ray and Mr. Hathaway, Ray Charles and Donny Hathaway respectively. Sometimes Winehouse would sing Blake in the place of Ray during live performances, a reference to her ex-husband, Blake Fielder Civil who served time in prison for charges relating to violent behavior. The expanded version of Back to Black included a bonus track called Addicted, an ode to Winehouse's marijuana days. In 2007, she told a Rolling Stone journalist that she used to smoke a lot of weed. She then confessed, quote, I suppose if you have an addictive personality, then you go from one poison to the other. Unquote. The promotion cycle of Back to Black began in October 2006, and the record was released in the UK on October 30, reaching number one for two weeks in January. In the US, the record entered the Billboard Top 200 at number seven. Back to Black would go on to be the UK's biggest selling album of 2007, with Rehab going top 10 in the UK and the US. Time Magazine would name Rehab the best song of 2007. The record's second single, You Know I'm No Good, was released in January 2007 and went on to number 18 in the UK. Remixed complete with a guest vocal from rapper Ghostface Killa. In April 2007, the album's title track was released. It peaked at number 25. Island Records would try their luck with two more single releases. Love is a Losing Game, and Tears Dry on Their Own, but both failed to surpass the first three singles on the charts. Winehouse returned to performing live in May 2009 at a St. Lucia Jazz Festival. She had difficulty remembering the words to her songs and lost her balance on stage often during the performance. She apologized to the crowd for being bored and would end her set in the middle of a song. A year and a half later, Winehouse completed five dates in Brazil, but during a show in Dubai the following month, in February 2011, 
Winehouse was said to look intoxicated and distracted during the performance. She walked off the stage halfway through the show after being booed by the audience. Before embarking on a 12-date European tour in June of 2011, Winehouse admitted herself into the Priory Clinic in London for an assessment, finally giving in to her father's wishes. Winehouse left the clinic after just one week, her doctors explaining that she could complete the remainder of her treatment as an outpatient, allowing her to fulfill her touring obligations. It was believed that Winehouse was excited to tour Europe and was fully prepared to do so. The tour began at Kalamegdan Park in Belgrade, Serbia, on June 18. Local media who attended the event panned the show as an outright disaster. Winehouse was booed off the stage as a result of her severe intoxication. In front of an audience of 20,000 people, Winehouse forgot lyrics, missed cues, and occasionally just stopped singing entirely while her background vocalist tried to take up the slack. When the crowd started booing, she took off her shoe and threw it at them. She was unable to remember the name of the city she was in, the lyrics, or the names of the members in her band. The press also reported that Winehouse tried to leave the stage, but that her bodyguards prevented her from doing so, forcing her to finish the performance. Shows in Istanbul and Athens scheduled for the following week were cancelled, and after footage of the performance went viral days later, it was announced that Winehouse would be cancelling the entire tour. Amy Winehouse's problems with substance abuse had been in the headlines for some time already, having begun in 2005 with reports of heavy drinking and drug use. Her drastic weight loss was also noted around that time. However, as she embarked on the writing sessions for what would become Back to Black in early 2006, there seemed to be a return to normalcy. But in the middle of that year, Winehouse's grandmother, a source of stability in her life, passed away, sending Winehouse into a substance-filled downward spiral. The following year, Winehouse cancelled several UK and European shows citing poor health and extreme exhaustion. It was reported during this period that Winehouse was hospitalized for overdosing on a combination of cocaine, ecstasy, heroin, alcohol, and ketamine. In addition to that, Winehouse was also telling journalists that she was experiencing problems with depression, eating disorders, and that she was self-harming. She told reporters she was manic depressive, but not an alcoholic but that saying that made her sound like an alcoholic in denial. In December 2007, British tabloids posted a video online of a woman they claimed was Winehouse smoking crack cocaine. Her record label, Island Records, scuttled plans for a promotion campaign for Winehouse in the U.S., and in January of 2008, it was reported that she had been admitted to a treatment facility. Winehouse's rehabilitation success came into question in April as her alarming behavior continued with an allegation of assault resulting from her slapping a man in the face. Winehouse was no stranger to allegations of violence, however. Two years earlier, 
she admitted to punching a female fan in the face for a comment the fan made about her husband and then kneed her own husband in the crotch when he attempted to restrain her. In March 2009, Winehouse was arrested and charged with assault following an incident where she was accused of punching dancer Shireen Flash in the face at a September 2008 Princess Trust charity ball. Later in that same year, Winehouse was arrested for assault once again after striking a theater employee after he asked her to move from her seat. Winehouse's personal physician advised that she gave up using illegal substances in 2008. For her part, Winehouse told the press in 2010 that she literally woke up one day and made a decision not to do drugs any longer. There was still a problem, however. The booze. In 2010, she lapsed into full-blown alcohol abuse. Her physician treated her with Librium for alcohol withdrawal and anxiety, and subjected Winehouse to psychological and psychiatric evaluations in 2010. When undergoing psychological therapy was suggested to Winehouse, she declined. Winehouse's bodyguard stated that three days before her death, he turned up at her home and felt as though she was inebriated. Over the days that followed, he witnessed Winehouse drinking moderately, but that she was in good spirits, laughing, listening to music, and watching TV until 2 a.m. on the day that she would die. At 10 a.m. the following day, July 23, 2011, he entered Winehouse's bedroom and saw her lying on the bed. He attempted to rouse her, but was unsuccessful, which raised no concerns. Winehouse typically slept late. When he returned shortly after 3 p.m. to check on her again, he noticed she was still in the same position that she had been in before. He approached her and checked for a pulse. There was none, nor was she breathing. Ambulances were called and forensic investigators later entered the flat as police cordoned off the street outside. Paramedics found her fully clothed, with a laptop on her bed, and three empty bottles of vodka on the floor. Winehouse was pronounced dead at the scene. A coroner's inquest provided a verdict of death by misadventure. The report, released on October 26, 2011, stated that Winehouse's blood alcohol content was 416 milligrams per 100 milliliters, 0.042 at the time of her death, almost six times the legal driving limit. This amount of alcohol was enough to make her comatose and depress her respiratory system, resulting in sudden death. Amy Winehouse's biggest hit, Rehab, defined her as a figure, defiant, sarcastic, and somehow optimistic. She invited us to know her as this person, offered no apologies for it, and the success of rehab kind of crystallized the idea that her troubles and her tragedy were at the heart of her allure. Maybe in the end, she came to terms with it, and maybe she figured we could too.
All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. Till next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.